Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the third Sunday of Easter, May 1st, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from John chapter 21 verses 1 through 19. can be found on page 1687 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, John chapter 21 verses 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard, it, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Heavenly Father, these are your words and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives for that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's quite fitting for us this morning that it's the third Sunday of Easter 
And in the course of our gospel lesson this morning, John tells us that we are looking at Jesus' third post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. And much like the other post-resurrection appearances, Jesus here sets about the task of confirming his identity to the disciples. And in confirming his identity to the disciples, Jesus' takes a task is to confirm to them their own identities. So turning our eyes back to John 21 this morning, we first look at how Jesus establishes his own identity. Jesus' third appearance to the disciples is much simpler and more straightforward. The disciples don't need to see the empty tomb. They've already seen it. They don't need to see Jesus' wounds. They've already seen those too. It appears the only thing the disciples remain confused about is the significance of this entire ordeal. They don't know what to do about Jesus' resurrection. They're a little bit adrift. And so Jesus does something a little different here, but quite deliberate. Jesus duplicates one of his miracles. If you take time, either now or later today, to glance back at Luke 5 in your Bibles, you'll find Luke's account of Jesus calling the disciples for the first time. And in that account, you'll find Jesus instructing the disciples where to catch fish. Then you'll see a miraculous catch of fish, and you'll hear Peter acknowledging Jesus as Lord. All of that happens here after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples have caught nothing. Jesus instructs them what to do about it. The catch of fish was miraculously large. And Peter instantly recognizes Jesus as Lord. And in this, Jesus' goal has been accomplished. Jesus has again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, confirmed his identity to the disciples. No one even dares to ask, who are you? Because they know. And in doing this, Jesus has set us up to observe the completion of his next task. Confirming the disciples in their own identities. Because this is still what is missing in the disciples' lives. They know Jesus. They know that Jesus has risen from the dead. They just don't know what to do about it. And more importantly, they don't know what that means for them. So as we consider how Jesus establishes the disciples' identity, we should take just a moment to acknowledge the brilliance of the large catechism in laying a foundation for us this morning. Because as Peter and John and the other disciples there that morning confess that Jesus is Lord, Martin Luther reminds us in the large catechism that Lord means Redeemer. And I want that in the back of your minds as we move through the rest of this passage. Now, we need to take some time to consider the disciples' identity. Jesus confirms the disciples in their identities in three separate ways, ascending in intensity. And I want to take a break just for a moment here to acknowledge that I realize only seven of the disciples are here. But but there's some interesting things going on that I find both comical and and necessary to expand for us. One, I have to believe that at some point in time, 
Thomas got after John for writing this. Because when Thomas is gone from the group of disciples, he gets completely thrown under the bus. But here, four disciples are gone, and they don't even get mentioned. Thomas has got to be like, what is going on with this? But, but it's precisely the anonymity of the disciples. Two of the disciples don't even get named in this account, and the others don't get identified. And that, and that means for our sakes this morning, that even though seven disciples are present instead of 11, I think we can extrapolate everything that happens here in John 21 to all of the disciples. So that's the liberty I'm taking with the text, and I think John gives me permission to do that with his ambiguity. Anyway, the disciples' identity. First, Jesus calls the disciples children. There's a couple things going on with that. At the very least, when Jesus calls the disciples children, at the very least, what it means is that Jesus has identified them again as his students. That, that Jesus has placed himself in a relationship of rabbi and student once again. That the very least, if it means nothing else, that's what children means here. But I think more than that, Jesus is hinting to the disciples at their place in God's kingdom. I think it's entirely necessary for him to do that because it's easy for us to forget after the resurrection that all of the disciples fled and abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. They all left him alone. And in fact, the failure of the disciples to be with Jesus starts even before he's arrested as the three disciples fall asleep repeatedly in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays. Jesus in calling them children, has reestablished for them their place in God's kingdom. Jesus is not holding their abandonment and their failure against them. That's the first uh, method Jesus uses. Next, though, and as we've already discussed, Jesus repeats the miracle. We've already addressed the similarities between Luke 5 and John 21, so we don't need to rehash all that. But what's important for us to note here in Luke 5 uh, is that Jesus in Luke 5 was initially calling the disciples into their apostolic ministry. That's the whole purpose of Luke 5. John 21 repeats that. The disciples have gone fishing because they don't know what else to do. They don't know any better. But now they do know what to do. They're disciples of Jesus, and they've been commissioned and sent by Jesus as apostles. Jesus, in repeating the miracle when the disciples were commissioned, has recommissioned those individuals as disciples. They've been restored, they've been forgiven. But finally, and most directly, if not most importantly, Jesus addresses Peter specifically and intentionally. Just as we are supposed to think of the disciples' call into ministry and Luke 5 when we consider the catch of fish, we're also supposed to think of Peter's denial of Christ when Jesus addresses him individually. 
Three times Peter denied Jesus during his trial, and now three times Jesus restores Peter. And in this, we see not only the depth of Peter's guilt and shame and humility, we see the breadth of Jesus' grace. So the final method of Jesus establishing the disciples in their identity is Peter's own restoration. First, let's look at the nature of the word love. The first two times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? There's a subtle play on words going on that, that our English translations never do a good job of catching. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He's using the Greek word agape. And the Greek word agape is the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's the love of choice. It's a love someone has for someone else regardless of whether or not they deserve it. That's what agape love is. So, so if you will, and this is a terrible thing to do and I recognize it, just in your minds, hear Jesus say, Peter, do you agape me? Okay? But Peter answers, Lord, I love you. But Peter's word for love is not the same word. Peter says the Greek word phileo. And phileo is affection or, or, or brotherly love. The word Philadelphia has that word in it. So, so uh, I've heard it described, Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter saying, do you like me? Or, or Lord, I like you. That's not even quite the same. Jesus' love is a sacrificial, undying love. Peter's love is an affection. Now, there have been thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of takes about the significance of this. But I have come to believe that why Peter changes the word on Jesus is because he's still crushed by guilt. Because Peter is still aware of what he's capable of in his sin and in his sinfulness. So when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Peter recognizes by his own life in confession that no, he does not agape Jesus. He does not love Jesus sacrificially. That he has recently and directly failed to love Jesus. And yet, Peter knows that he does love Jesus, but he can't say it truthfully. You can almost feel the churning in Peter's stomach as the guilt overtakes him, and he changes the terms of Jesus' question. Now again, remember that Peter is the one who said, who stood up in the middle of the disciples and said, Lord, I will never leave you. Lord, I love you. Peter is the one of the disciples who, who was prone to reckless, extreme commitment. And now Jesus' question has reminded Peter of his failure. So that's the nature of the word love in this context. Next, we want to look at the name that Jesus calls Peter. Jesus is now <clears throat> starting to build the case for his grace with Peter. 
in, in the midst of this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, Jesus calls Peter Simon, son of John. Now, I'm not going to pretend at any level to understand the interplay of how the Greek and the Hebrew names work. It's just, I don't get it. I don't get Simon Peter. I don't get Cephas. I don't get any of that. I don't get why Paul and Saul. It's weird to me. It's an entirely foreign concept. But what I understand here is if you're looking closely, Peter, son of John, is exactly what Jesus calls Peter after Peter makes his confession in Matthew 16. And Jesus walks up to the disciples and he asks them, who do men say that I am? And they rattle off some answers. Some say Elijah and so on and so forth. And Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what Jesus says to Peter after that is massively important for us this morning. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Jesus uses the name for Peter that he used when Peter made an accurate confession of who Jesus was. In restoring Peter, Jesus wants Peter to recognize Jesus as that Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because for Peter, his restoration involves the forgiveness of his sins, the forgiveness of his failures, the forgiveness of his abandonment, because Jesus has accomplished that forgiveness as the Christ, as the Lord's anointed. Jesus is pulling Peter into the context. Finally, in Jesus' interaction with Peter, we see the breadth of his grace. Peter, again, denied Jesus three times on the night before his crucifixion. And now three times, Jesus has restored Peter to his apostolic ministry. Jesus' general restoration to the other disciples as they recognized the significance of the repeated miracle might have been good enough for the other six guys who were there. But not for Peter. Peter was under the conviction of sin. Peter, in his state of despair, was not going to hear the gospel generally preached. It was not for him. Same goes for us. When we feel the guilt of our sin and our shame, the very first thing we will do is to disqualify ourselves from the words of the gospel. And so what Jesus does here is to make sure, yet again, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Peter understands this restoration, this forgiveness, this recommissioning applies to him too. Jesus says it to Peter directly. He puts it into Peter's ears individually. Feed my sheep. Peter cannot miss that Jesus has restored him. Not just the group in general, which he's done. Jesus has restored him. And so it is for each one of us. The forgiveness and restoration is, uh, that Jesus accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb and that he gives to the disciples, that same forgiveness and restoration is ours. We, 
just like the disciples, and maybe specifically just like Peter, have failed the Lord. We have abandoned him when the going gets tough. We have denied Jesus with our sinful thoughts and words and behavior. And as we are given time to think about it and dwell on it, we're crushed. From time to time, the guilt of our sin is enough to overwhelm us. To be the only thing we can think about. But just like the disciples, Jesus has restored us completely. You, just like them, have been restored as God's child. You, just like them, have been welcomed back into his kingdom to serve God in your vocations. And you, just like Peter, have been directly and individually forgiven by Jesus because who he is and because of what he has done for you. These are words that are for you individually. Jesus' restoration is for your ears specifically. It is designed to grab your attention. The words of the gospel, Jesus' words of restoration are intended to comfort and restore you to the point that you cannot possibly disqualify yourself from the grace and mercy Jesus has for you. In the back of your mind, whether it's a voice from the world, whether it's a voice from Satan, whether it's the voice of your own sinful nature, you think that you have outsinned the grace of God. You think that you are too great of a sinner for God to forgive. But you're wrong. Jesus died and Jesus rose again for this very purpose. And he places the promise of the gospel and your restoration in your ears by the words of the gospel, and by the words of the absolution, and by the body and blood of Jesus in holy communion. They are for you. And all this is because Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.